0: Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani. And I'm Chuck Mindenhall. And I'm P.T. Carroll. And together we are 3Pack. Join us on the brand new Spotify Live app immediately after all of the biggest fights in combat sports. And also during the weigh-ins because that's when the real drama happens.
1: So what are you waiting for? Follow the Ring
0: MMA show right now on our exclusive Spotify podcast feed.
1: And come join the best community in MMA. Peace! We're out of here.
0: So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com.
2: With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can upgrade your home with up to $2,400 off select kitchen packages from top brands like Maytag. Enhance your kitchen with the exclusive Maytag French door refrigerator and fingerprint-resistant stainless steel only at the Home Depot. And with dual power filtration on the Maytag tall tub dishwasher, you can skip soaking and scrubbing. Right now, get Memorial Day savings up to $2,400 off select kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Pricing valid May 16th through June 5th. U.S. only C-Store online for details.
0: Welcome in a Tuesday and a Wednesday edition of New York, New York. Uh, I'm clearly aggravated and pissed off and all sorts of upset with the end of that game at the Carrier Dome between my Syracuse Orange and UNC. Uh, I I think the officials in that game might have been on the take. I don't understand what my point guard is doing, saving the ball under his own basket. Like you learn that in CYO, Joe, for goodness sakes. So I should have been in a real pleasant mood. Nick win, Syracuse win. And Syracuse needed the game just as much as Knicks did tonight. But I'm absolutely disgusted as I taped this at 11.35 on Tuesday. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. I'm blowing off a little steam. I might have taken some shots at the officials. What an absolutely horrific, horrific meltdown at the end of the game combined with the officiating at the end of the game. Oh, I'm disgusted. Syracuse has been losing games like this for the last two years. So really shouldn't surprise me. But anyway, on Minipod this week, No Daniel Jones yet. Rescheduling. Hopefully, he will be with us on Thursday, but we will have him and put a bow on this 2022 season, so you don't want to worry about that. We will do some giant stuff, and there are some fascinating questions. Pat Leonard's going to join us. Daily News. What's next for Joe Shane? What's next for Brian Dable? The contract and what it's going to look like for Jones. The contract and what it's going to look like for Saquon Barkley. After what you heard from the Giants on Monday, Daniel Jones is going to be back here. They know his importance. They understand the position's importance. They're not going to screw around with Daniel Jones. He is going to be the quarterback of the New York Giants. If we're going to put percentages on it right now, Jones coming back, I'd put it like 99%. Barkley is the interesting one. Because I don't know if this was a game of chicken. I don't know if this was poker. I don't know what it exactly was from Joe Shane on Monday. But it was kind of a lukewarm endorsement on the idea of bringing Saquon Barkley back. Maybe that's a negotiation play. That was not the case with Daniel Jones, though. Daniel Jones, they're like, yeah, we want him to be the quarterback of the team. With Saquon, it was like, yeah, we like Saquon. Saquon's a good player. We want him back. but. You know, they're talking positional value. They're talking about the idea of, listen, we got to maximize our resources. And that's the dirty little secret about running back. You don't want to be a team paying a running back a ton of money. Because historically speaking, those contracts don't work out. I do think ownership wants Barkley back. I think Barkley wants to be back. And I'd put the chances of Saquon being a New York Giant in the low to mid-80s. So I still think he's going to be back. I just think that situation is going to be far more complicated for the Giants than the Daniel Jones situation. So now that the Giants season has come to a close, that is a very pressing and a very important order of business to figure out what is going on as far as paying your quarterback, as far as paying Saquon, if that's something they decide to do, and getting this roster to a much better place so they can play with the big boys in the NFC. Something the Giants did not do in what was this feel-good season. So, Giants season comes to a close. Now those questions all over the place. You heard Aaron Rodgers today. And I didn't listen on McAfee. I saw a couple of tweets. Kind of get the sense, and I kind of get the feel, that if Aaron Rodgers is leaving the Green Bay Packers, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a jet. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe I'm overanalyzing some of the comments that were made today. Schefter comes out and says if they trade him, they trade him in the AFC. That means one of three teams. That means the Jets. That could mean Tennessee if they're creative and they could get rid of Ryan Tannehill. That also could mean Vegas and he reunites with Devontae Adams. I think of Aaron Rodgers is playing in the AFC, he's playing in one of those three destinations. And when you think about need. Desperation and the roster the Jets have to work with, the salary cap flexibility that they have to work with. I think Van Rodgers is playing somewhere else next year. He's a Jet, and if you're the Jets, it's a no-brainer move. You need a quarterback. He's a future Hall of Famer. You can't have Brett Favre PTSD. Got to do it. Got to do it. I don't think Omar Jackson will be available. And then you're looking at Rodgers, Carr, Garoppolo. I mean, you decide there. And that's not trying to disparage Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr, they and Aaron Rodgers. You absolutely take that roll of the dice for the next two years if that's available to you. So that's the overarching question now in Jetland. What's next at quarterback? We know it's not Zach Wilson. There's no way in the world he will be the starter week one in 2023. But who will be? That Rodgers name. Sexy. No getting around that. Very, very sexy. Now, the Knickerbockers had an important game tonight. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. They're reeling going into Tuesday night. Their defense without Mitchell Robinson has been abominable. It was awful Sunday against Toronto. It was poor the other night against the Atlanta Hawks. In come the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I don't think they were going to choke this game away on a couple of different occasions. At the beginning of the third quarter, I thought they were going to choke the game away. In the fourth quarter, when it looked like the Knicks, second unit, Hartenstein giving you good minutes. Obi popping in limited minutes, giving you big play. I'm like, okay, they're, they're running a high in a little bit here. They'll end up winning this game comfortably. Then boom, the Cavaliers come right back. On a night where you got very little out of Jalen Brunson for his usual standard. A night in which R.J. Barrett was incredibly inefficient and took a terrible shot at the end of the game. Julius Randle, to his credit, put the team on his back. tonight. He was fantastic across the board, and the Knicks don't win this game against Cleveland without him. I mean, you look at the stat sheet for Julius Randle, uh, the guy filled it up every which way imaginable. He hit the big three. You get the vintage Mike Breen bang. Definitely had a little extra oomph on that one. And Randall, 11-21, he hits eight threes and gives you 36-13. But even at the end of this game, Cleveland has the ball, chance to go for the win or the tie. I don't know about you, Nick fans. I know Donovan Mitchell was going to come down to court and bang a three and break your heart. That's where you got to credit the Nick defense. They stepped up, ended a game, got the big start they needed. The refs, unlike the refs at the carrier dome, to their credit, they swallowed the whistles, they let the guys play, and the Knicks get a much-needed win with the schedule they have coming up where they have the Celtics on Thursday, nationally televised. They have the Nets on Saturday, afternoon game, nationally televised. They have the Lakers on Tuesday, nationally televised. Knicks are going to be playing a lot of games under the microscope, under the spotlight. Who is this game to Cleveland? Then you're talking about five straight. Then maybe you're talking about seven straight. Like that's when things can really spiral out of control. This is what you call a stabilizing win. I don't think the Knicks will take off the way they did after the last Cleveland game, where they won a bunch of games in a row and it really has spearheaded their season. They're not getting that with this schedule. But this was a gotta have it, stop the bleeding type of game, especially when you go up double digits in the fourth quarter. You gotta find a way to close that game out. And to their credit, they did exactly that. Now, one more thought. We'll take one call and we'll do trivia. Not a long pod today. But I got to get this off my chest. And I'm not going to lie. I have gotten jaded over the last few years with the Hall of Fame stuff. I, I, I'm sick and tired of talking about the steroids. It's boring. It's played out. I've done it for 10 zillion years. We all know the deal. Clemens, Bonds, disgrace. They're not in the Hall of Fame. We all get that. I'm running a bunch of errands today. And maybe I was in a little bit of a a mental fog because I ran eight miles today and I was beat. I was shot. I had to take a little nap before the Nick game, not going to lie. I get the notification, waking up from my nap, that Scott Rowland gets inducted in the Baseball Hall of Fame and and, and I had to do a double take. What? Scott Rowland? The same Scott Rowland. I want to hear about War. And I don't want to hear he's one of the best third basemen in the history of the game because, please, Then Greg Nettles and David Wright are Hall of Famers by that standard. Please, give me a break with the war nonsense. Scott Rowland had one top 10 MVP finish in his career. One! How on God's green earth is Scott Rowland a Hall of Famer? I watched his whole career. So, with the Phillies, with the Cardinals, good player. Great glove. Bernie Williams was a better player than Scott Rowland. Watch the games. For you stat geeks, watch the games. It's not even close. I I I found that out today, and I'm like, my God. The Hall of Fame has turned into a Hall of Very Good. That, that's just all there is to it. The Hall of Fame has turned into the Hall of Very Good. Scott Rowan in the Hall of Fame? What are we doing? I didn't even plan on putting anybody on today because I didn't think anybody was getting in the Hall of Fame. I, I didn't think anybody was getting in, so I didn't think it was going to be worth our time. I was like, all right, Veterans Committee, Fred McGriff, go about our business. Scott Rowan is a Hall of Famer. What are we doing? To say it's watered down—that's an understatement. Woof. Baseball writers, let's be better. I can't believe Scott Williams is an All Fan, and he's a nice guy. I don't want—I don't want to rain on his parade, but like, come on. Uh, Where is the standard now? Hall very good. Ask yourself this question. And I don't hear New York bias nonsense. Whose career would you rather have? Bernie Williams or Scott Rowan. And I don't think Bernie's a Hall of Famer. I love Bernie. I love him. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's at notch below that. So is Scott Rowan. Citing defensive war stats. Then put Don Mattingly and Keith Hernandez in the Hall of Fame too while we're at it. Jeez Louise. All right, let's take one quick call and then we'll do trivia. That really pissed me. I don't know what pissed me off more today. The end of the Syracuse game or Scott Rowland getting in the Hall of Fame? You decide. I don't know. All right, let's take a call. JJ, Sean
2: from the Beach House in Belmar. It's been a while. Uh, we're post-Giants. We are in the midst of Knicks 500, kind of mediocrity, probably not going to have a big trade, but hopefully do something at the deadline. And thanks for tweeting that earlier because I saw it today and I was like, what, Scott Rowland? Scott Rowland, Hall of Famer. Not Beltran, not Wagner. Forget Jeff Kent. Forget Bonds, A-Rod, Clemens, Scott Rowland, Baseball Hall of Fame. It's tough times right now in New York fandom. And I just got to look at this nonsense. Forget Albert Bell, uh, uh, your boy Benigno, uh, a long-time Albert Bell advocate, as am I, in terms of on-the-field play. Major League Baseball, man, what's going on? This, just just, mediocrity being celebrated. All right, man, that's all. I'm out. Thanks, as always, for your coverage. And sorry about your betting losses over the weekend. Hopefully we recoup this week coming up. All right, bro, peace.
0: You know, that is a great point. Albert Bell, who is Joe Beningo's pal, he had him on the podcast. And I know Albert was a pin in the neck. And did some nasty things. The Fernando Vina, some of the abusive behavior in the locker room. Like, I'm not saying that Albert Bell was a saint. Albert Bell was a better player than Scott Rowland. Like, not even close. And what ends up happening now is it's a popularity contest with a lot of these writers. If you're a good guy, they take care of you. But I think about so many players that have gotten in the Hall of Fame over the last few years. Mike Messina is not a Hall of Famer. Good pitcher is not a Hall of Famer. Scott Rowland is not a Hall of Famer. The standard has been lowered in Cooperstown. It's very disappointing, but it's true. All right, Larry, I didn't forget about you for this mini pod today. We'll take you in a little bit, but first, Pat Leonard, New York Daily News, talking ball pod, a lot of questions with the Giants. Barkley, Jones, how to close the gap in the NFC East. We'll try to figure all that out coming up next. All right, I'm fired up to welcome in our next guest. He spent all season with the Giants, covers them for the Daily News. He's got a podcast of his own, and his entrances to MetLife Stadium swagged out, suited out. I mean, they put a lot of the Giants to shame. What can I say, Pat Leonard? What's happening, dude?
1: Appreciate it, JJ. Hey, I can't get as clean as your guy DJ is walking in there with the suit and tie and, you know, tall, dapper, franchise quarterback, but I do my best to blend in. You know, I, ho- I, hope- I hope everybody enjoys it. Well, listen, I think you do
0: more than blend in. Unfortunately, you're not going to be seeing your salary the way Daniel Jones' salary is going to be me or anybody else for that matter compared right. to what we thought it was going to be a year ago, which is just earth-shattering stuff. I want to start here, though, Pat. You've been around the Giants a long time now. You've seen a lot of lean years you've seen a lot of bad teams. Has this been like the most fun season you've had since you started on the Giant Beat, uh, watching this team, covering this team day in and day
1: out? Yeah, no, definitely. I I think uh, other than the 2016 season, which obviously there were a lot of personalities too that made that interesting, you know, guys like, obviously Eli was still around, Odell was there, Olivier Vernon and JPP. But you know, JJ, given how how bad it's been around here with the Giants, you know, uh, firing one head coach after another. And even when there were some good feels in 2020, it was the COVID year, we weren't in the locker room and it was a six and 10 finish, right? So the idea that Brian Dable, Joe Shane, Daniel Jones got the Giants back into the playoffs and, and let's face it, JJ, beating the Vikings the way they did with Daniel playing the way he did. Even though the Eagles game went terribly, and even though their season ended on that low note, that Minnesota week after and the 24 to 48 hours after that game was something I think the team needed, the ownership needed. And frankly, you know, we needed to here in New York as fans and as media. And as far as being a fun season, I mean, you know this, JJ. The guys are excited to talk when they're playing well and when they're winning. And It just was never an easy grind the last four or five years when all you were doing was asking and answering the same question.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. Winning obviously solves a lot of problems. And look, I I think it starts from what they have in the building compared to what they didn't have in the building. You mentioned those coaching changes. I I love the revisionist history that I heard from some people, Pat, last week. Uh, about Dave Gettleman. I mean, it made my head want to explode, even though they're talking up Jones and Barkley. It's like, did you guys realize this this guy gave Kenny Galladay this contract and was this bad in free agency and hired these terrible coaches? Don't get me started. But being around Shane and Dable, right, what have they brought to you? Like, you're around the team. You've seen them at their worst. What do these guys bring to the table day in and day out that those other guys simply did not?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and a great point. And uh, I had so many tweets written in response to all that Dave Gettleman love that I deleted and never sent. The old, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all, Axiom. I follow that. Yeah. But so let's start with Joe Shane. He is, he's smart and he has discipline and he has a plan, JJ. And all those things should sound obvious when you're talking about an NFL GM. But especially when we just wrapped up the season and you're hearing him talk about positional value, market value, walk away numbers in contract uh, negotiations, building it to sustain it and not just to win in the short term. Um, this is a guy who came in and understood it wasn't a quick fix, has ownership on board, I think still, that it's not a quick fix. And throughout the season, from the spring throughout all the way to the end of the season, Joe Shane and his personnel staff Brandon Brown, Chris Rossetti, Tim McDonald, all these guys, you know it, JJ, they had injuries, they had guys going down. They went out and made waiver claims and signings and practice squad signings of veterans and young guys that they elevated. They get Isaiah Hodgins, Tyree Phillips, Jalen Smith, Landon Collins. They reinforced this roster so well. And so, um, it was just with such a solid eye on doing it with value and not having a lot of money to spend but understanding how to maximize it efficiently, and I think that really helped Brian Dable's cause. Dable, what he brought as a head coach, I think was a couple things. One, the two-point conversion in Tennessee was a big deal. The players really loved seeing results right away from his process, whatever it was. That was important. Two is he hired Wink Martindale. Not to not to uh, say that Mike Kafka wasn't an important hire. The head, the coaching staff did great, but Martindale's defense was the reason they started six and one. And the reason they got in the playoffs, that was a very important hire. And they obviously kind of fell into it when Pat Graham left, but that was extremely important. And the third thing was an, an offensive acumen from Dable and Kafka's standpoint where they weren't going to say, Oh my God, look at our limitations on the offensive end. They looked at what they had and they said, how can we maximize these skills? I think Daniel having more than 700 rushing yards is a perfect example of that. Um, And the final thing is the players have told me this throughout the year too. And you know, JJ, teams in all sports, they always react usually to the previous head coach. What was the previous head coach not giving us that we need now? And sometimes that's the right view. Sometimes it's not. But this season, Gable let the players be themselves, gave them freedom, put trust in them to handle themselves well, wasn't looking over their shoulder, and they responded to the trust he put in them as professionals and said that they felt that helped them create a good locker room. And with solid leadership enabled, like Julian Love, Daniel Jones, um, the locker room kind of policed themselves, and they end up in the postseason.
0: You know, that's such a great point about week one because I felt it watching the game. When they went for two, they convert that two. They get the missed field goal. It really did set about, this like chain of events that the Giants kind of parlayed that momentum and believed in their head coach. And you know what I love so much about this coach, Pat? He takes what he has, and the team knows exactly what they are. There's no identity crisis. They play to their strengths. He gets the most out of them. And I yeah. thought that was so like on display Saturday. I know he had a bad night. I know the team had a bad night, dude. You look at the talent in Philadelphia's roster. The talent on the Giants roster. The idea that the Giants were even playing in that game, Pat, is so outrageous to me. And I know there were great candidates for Coach of the Year. Sirianni's great. Shanahan's great. O'Connell doing what he did with the Vikings, great. Dable getting this roster, this team, that was basically a teardown to nine wins and a playoff win. Hands down, Coach of the Year, in my opinion, dude.
1: Yeah, I mean, he deserves to be in the conversation. I mean, I... I like McDermott for the leadership he showed in that in that Hamlin moment, as well as you know I thought he deserved to win it two years ago. Had his team near a one seat again, um, you know Shanahan, Sirianni, Doug Peterson too, uh, turning Urban Meyer's team around. But no doubt, Dable, the fact that he's in that conversation to me, especially like you said, with the roster that they were handed, you know this this revisionist history. Love for Dave Gettleman. You can't say that and then turn around and make the Dable Coach of the Year argument if you're one of these crazy fans trying to fix all that because the bottom line is the point of this season was Dable Shane arrive, no salary cap space, bad roster. And at the end of the season, they maximize everything they have. They squeeze every last drop out. So whether Dable wins that award or not, he does go into his second NFL season, I think with the Giants ownership feeling excited about the guy that they put at the post. Though I will have a, a slight asterisk on JJ, one five and one in division and getting run off the field by the the Eagles. You're right. You're absolutely right. They don't even bol- belong on that field from a talent standpoint, and that's not on day ball. But you got to figure out a way to keep those games close. The Cowboys and Eagles games, really, when it comes down to it, are all that matter.
0: Yeah, and listen, from a measuring stick standpoint, that's next for the Giants. How do you close the gap with not only the Eagles and the Cowboys with all their problems? I'm not the biggest Dak Prescott believer. I'm clearly not a Mike McCarthy believer. But, Pat, they won a lot more games than the Giants. They beat the Giants twice. The Eagles, they won one win away from a Super Bowl. And I think we all know this. The Giants now, with what they did in 2022, you're going to have a lot of fans out there saying, well, How do you improve upon this team? How do you get better? And I think that's kind of a conflict from the fans' perspective of, oh, the only way you get better is go deeper in the playoffs. (laughs) But the reality is, Pat, this roster, as you know, and Joe Shane knows, they got a lot of work to do before we're talking about them closing the gap with a team like the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: Definitely, JJ. And I think that is why Joe Shane is the most important person in the building right now because as the architect and as the savvy, younger, newer age GM, you brought him in for this moment. You didn't just bring him in for that year one. You know, year one was about just trying to get through it, right? And that's why they did such a great job. Now is the time you brought Joe Shane in because the reason that Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman and their second year went up in a ball of flames There were a lot of mistakes. The reason that it went up in flames is they went into that second season coming off a six and 10 year, having almost won a bad division. And everyone from ownership on down thought that they were close. And they threw all that money into those bad contracts. And they went for broke. And it blew up in their faces. That is called misevaluating your roster. And Joe Shane's not doing that. You're right. From the outside, and even maybe from ownership standpoint, It might be hard for Joe Shane and Brian Dable to temper expectations coming off of such a promising year. Nine wins, first playoff win since 2011 season, first appearance since 2016. But I think Shane, I'm excited, uh, frankly, JJ, I am excited about, after sitting there talking to Shane um, on on the Monday after breakup day and listening to how level-headed he sounded about expectations and where they're going and the fact that this is just step one, I think he has them in the right direction. The question is, to your point, harder schedule next year. You can't keep everybody. You can't pay everybody. Who do you sign? What do you do? If they win seven games next season against a harder schedule, will fans consider that a failure? Will ownership consider that a failure? Because they they shouldn't in the context of where the program has been, but this is a year-to-year league, as you know.
0: Yeah, and I think that ownership should show a lot more patience just based upon what you've seen immediately. Out of Shane, out of Dable, getting in the playoffs, winning a playoff game. There's going to be a lot of time, Pat, to dissect who's back, who's not, and what's next. The guy who joins me every Tuesday sure seems like listening to Joe Shane and knowing John Mara's feelings on the previous regime failing Daniel Jones I think I'd be borderline shocked, Pat, at this point, if Daniel Jones is not the quarterback next year. Is that fair to say?
1: Absolutely, JJ. I think, uh, and I think Joe Shane slipped in a good way for for anyone who believes in Daniel Jones and said, "We're we're happy he's going to be back." I think by the by the midpoint of the season, once he won that game in Green Bay, JJ, or in London against Green Bay, I thought that was the moment. That was the moment where you said, "All right, this guy's going to be their quarterback next season." even if it's just a one-year tag, like that was where it started going uh, on the up and up. And then the way he finished the year, obviously they're going to have conversations on a multi-year deal. Um, you know, I think that they use the tag on him and not Barkley because he's the asset and it's the placeholder. But people have to remember, like when you talk on Twitter about this stuff, people don't understand. When you say use a franchise tag on Daniel Jones, you're not saying the Giants should only bring him back for one one year. What you're saying is, they will use that as a placeholder if they need to while they work out that long-term deal. So if they can't come up with a deal and a compromise contract, then that could result in Daniel playing on a a one-year, $32, $33 million contract. But I think the idea here, especially listening to Shane and looking at how Daniel played is, they want him back and they want him back for more than just next season. Shane is just a very, he's a hard negotiator. And he has an idea in his mind of what he wants to pay and what he doesn't. So we'll find out what that is. But I think he's well aware that a quarterback, especially with the franchise tag existing, there's a floor to what you can pay a guy who's shown that he's a franchise QB.
0: Um, On the flip side, Shane's comments about Saquon Barkley were not nearly as open. Now look, Pat, I think ownership loves Saquon. I think they want him back. I think Brian Dable, quite frankly, wants Saquon back. He's an easy guy to root for. He had a terrific season. Pat, you've known me long enough. I don't pay running backs. That's just how I roll. I don't like doing it. I, I just think it's one of those positions that I, I just don't value. Is Joe Shane going to be one of those guys that says, look, I- I'm not paying a running back any which way. Is there a limit to what he will do with Saquon Barkley? I still think he's going to end up back here. I just think it's going to be far more, what's the word, complicated than the Daniel Jones question. Is that fair to say?
1: Absolutely. And JJ, honestly, I'm right there with you on the running back, paying them conversation. And I'm telling you, I walked out of that press conference nodding my head thinking, Joe Shane might be the Giants guy. Like This this guy might be their GM the next 10 years. And his hard line negotiating on Saquon was a major reason why I was thinking that because it's not about not liking Saquon of course they know he's a good player it's about a reasonable understanding of what it takes to construct a roster and a realistic and as Shane said take emotion out of it evaluation of what a player is and the fact is Saquon's very good sometimes makes great plays but has been injured and is not a great player in the in the sense of some of the top running backs in the league right now he hasn't shown it consistently they needed him to dominate a playoff game against the Eagles. He didn't do it. I mean, the, the bottom line is, if you're paying him, you're paying him as a piece of an offense, not as the main focal point of your offense. And so you, you look at the you look at the the numbers, right, JJ? And some of these contracts were signed in different different times, whatever. But when you show me that Nick Chubb's in the twelve point two range, Der- Derrick Henry's twelve point five, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon twelve. You know, Kamara and Christian McCaffrey are the ones above at 16 and 14. But if Saquon is not willing to accept a deal that's in and around that 12 marker, maybe even a little bit lower, and I, I would pay him less than that. But if he's not willing to take that, then I don't know if he's going to be on this team. But you make a good point. Like it's The Giants are not in a position to get rid of good players either. So it's not like you want to just say, see them send guys out onto the street and get nothing for... Um, you know, assets, but you know, I'm encouraged by the fact that Joe Shane recognizes running back is replaceable and that he is, he probably would simply to your point, ownership, love Saquon. He's the most marketable person and player in the organization. And so I think Shane would just have to present a full scale plan on if we're not using the resources on this player that we drafted second overall and that we love as a person here is how I'm going to use those resources otherwise. You need to convince people in the building of that, I think, before you walk away from the negotiating table with Saquon.
0: Pat, let's be honest. If they got up to a crummy start last year, and I know that's hypothetical world because we might be singing a different tune with Daniel Jones too, I bet you Joe Shane was thinking, we're going to stink. Saquon Barkley is going to be traded at the deadline. Like I I guarantee you that was their initial thought process a year ago. It just goes to show you how things could change with the organization because now Daniel Jones is definitely coming back, and they're in a world where they kind of are in a position where the fans and ownership are going to want Saquon on this team.
1: You make a great point. I'm glad you brought that up, JJ. Sometimes it feels like it's five years ago when it's only 12 months ago, but last offseason, you bring up a great point. You Everybody remembers Shane's rhetoric and John Mara's rhetoric about Saquon was was iffy. I mean. They would not slam the door on the idea that he was possibly available. They did a lot of p- public posturing to act like they were mischaracterized when Shane first said that they would listen on any player. But the reality was they were in the position, as you just said, to look at their team and say, this season's not going a certain way. We're going to do the right thing uh, with some of our assets. like The kind of trade they made with t- Tadarius Tony, which different player, dis- different circumstance, different reasons, but trading talent off your team, that would have been that would have happened throughout the roster from for the Giants if they had gone downhill to start. You're absolutely right.
0: Pat final one, they're gonna be in a much better position, cap wise this year, yeah. as opposed to the disaster that they were with Gettleman. It's not great. They still have to pay Jones. We'll see what happens here with Barkley and Lawrence and a couple of other guys. But in free agency, I don't expect them to spend like drunken sailors. I don't think that's going to be the Joe Shane approach. In fact, I think I'd be stunned if that's the Joe Shane approach. But should I be looking at Buffalo Bill guys because of the pipeline there? Jordan Poyer, Edmonds, like any any Buffalo Bills that are going to hit free agency, are those guys we should be looking at as potential giants maybe down the road or not necessarily?
1: I know that, I know that wide receiver Gabe Davis on the Bills is a guy that Shane and Dable like a lot. Um, I know that if they can find a way to get him from Buffalo, he could be a player that would help them, though obviously his production this season was down compared to the previous year when he had those four touchdowns in the playoff game. Um, so if they could acquire him uh, from Buffalo, that that's the name that I think I would look for Certainly throughout their pipeline, I think any player that's from Buffalo um, that they're familiar with, especially that Shane was a part of drafting, uh, makes a lot of sense for them. If they spend big in free agency, I think it would be on a corner um, or on a, you know, receivers, a position that I know Shane said, you know, we you don't need a what, number one right receiver, but they were, I was told they were the most aggressive team at the deadline after Jerry Judy of the Denver Broncos before Denver announced like he's not on the block anymore. So he's been on that train for a while. I think they draft at corner and, and uh, receiver. They need an inside linebacker. They need interior offensive linemen, especially at least a guard, uh, maybe, maybe a center. Um, you know, so I think you're right. Don't expect Joe Shane to go crazy and and throw money all over the place. You got to pay Andrew Thomas. You're probably giving Dexter Lawrence that extension. You're paying Daniel. though. The other plus of paying Daniel, JJ, on a long-term deal and not a tag is if, you, if he only plays on the tag, that's over $30 million right off your cap right there. You get him on a long-term deal, you can mess around with the numbers in year one, get his cap number down, and then you can play around with the roster and add more pieces. So that's more incentive to get your guy number eight done.
0: Pat Leonard, Daily News, talking ball. Bro, appreciate a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm bummed the Giants season is over for two reasons. One, this was the most fun I've had talking football. I mean, literally, (laughs) think about this, Pat. I started in radio 11 years ago, the year the Giants won that Super Bowl. Mm. I had one playoff game to break down after that Super Bowl run. So it was nice to have this year. there. And it's a long time, man, between both teams. But I'm also going to miss those videos, man. So maybe uh, <laughs> at the draft, you can
1: try to reincarnate the swag, all right? Hey, man, I'll be at the Super Bowl, too. So, I mean, security's tight. But let's see what I can get done in Arizona. So so hold on. I though. like the sound of that.
0: Well, it was, I like the sound of that. I'll see you out there. Safe travels. Keep up the good work. All right, bud?
1: Thanks, JJ. All
0: right, that's our guy, Pat Leonard of Daily News. We'll come back, wrap it up a little trivia. That's next. All right, before we say goodbye, trivia time. Larry, I didn't forget about you. I told you I didn't forget about you. My Knicks took care of your Cavaliers. I couldn't get the double dip, though. You know, I could not get the double dip at the carrier dome. Anyway, let's see if I can end the night with a glimmer, with some trivia. Let's hear it.
2: JJ, Larry, got two questions. Here we go. Who led the major leagues? in stolen bases in the decade of the 90s. The second question is, all four quarterbacks left right now are 27 and under. What year is the last year that happened?
0: I'm out. Oh, man. I'm going to start with the 90s stolen base question because I think I'm confident in my answer. Kenny Lofton. Was not Kenny Lofton. Okay. I was very, very confident in that answer. It's not Kenny Lofton, Stefan. Otis Nixon. Well played. Second guess. I knew it wasn't Ricky Henderson because he stopped running towards the end of the 1990s. Otis freaking Nixon. He had a very underrated career. All right. So, your second question quarterbacks 27 and under the last time in the final four, this has happened. Oh man. I mean, you got to go back years because Tom Brady has basically been in the final four. It feels like year after year, after year, after year. But what I'm going to say is, and I actually think I'm pretty confident in this answer. You got to go to a year in which Tom Brady was not a part of the postseason tournament. So, by that process of elimination, you had Sanchez, Waltersberger, and you had Rogers Cutler in 2010 season, 2011 January. Stefan, that is my guess. Rodgers-Cutler. Cutler. It is not it. Stefan, didn't even let me say it one more time. I'm I surprised. You know why Waltersberger? Roethlisberger must have been a little too old. Or Rodgers must have been a little too old. But I was very confident in that answer. Very, very confident in that answer. See, 2008, that's out because you had Kurt Warner, way too old. Donovan McNabb, way too old. Oh, man. I'm going way back then. I'm going back to like Brady and Manning when they were babies. So if you go back to when Brady and Manning were babies, it would be Brady, Manning. You had Donovan McNabb. Oh, man. Here's my guess, The fun. Brady, Roltersberger, McNabb, and Vic. Am I, am I heating up or no? No, you're, you're still too far away. I will give you this. Mid-90s. Oh, we're going way back then. Mid-90s. See, I appreciate that. See, I thought I I thought I thought might have been able to squeeze it into the 2000s. Mid-1990s. Young quarterbacks. All right, I think I know. Bledsoe, Brunel, Favre, Kerry Collins. Let's go. That one took a little work. Larry, that was an excellent, excellent question. But there was a lot of resolve there. Stefan, I only needed a minor hint there, too. I only can you needed give a minor me the hint. year? Can you give me the year for I our can, fans that don't know? Because it was the 96th season, 97, uh month of January. That is correct. For our fans that didn't know that. That is like the prime years of me starting to watch football. A little before that, but like by like 96, I was starting to really become a little encyclopedia. Way too disturbing for everybody out there with like seven, eight-year-old JJ thinking he's a little know-it-all with all this stuff. And now, something's never changed. What can I say? Fun show. We'll have Daniel Jones at some point. If it's not Thursday, it'll be one day next week. I promise you that. We will have all our preview ready for Championship Sunday. Beningo. Art Caesar, and we'll be dropping the pod late on Thursday because the Knicks and the Celtics are playing a nationally televised Thursday night game. Good opportunity for the Knicks. Celtics had a brutal loss tonight. I'm still angry about this Q's game. I'm looking at the free throw discrepancy, and I'm sick! I don't know what's worse, that or the idiot point guard saving the ball under his own basket. Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. They needed this win. It needed this win. Makes me sick. Stefan, good job. We'll chat on Thursday. Hope everybody has a wonderful Wednesday. JJ out. Be good, everybody.